we're going to go from what has again traditionally been try and pick a, a winner out of 144 guys that are all really good to one guy's got 250 yards of the pin. What are his odds he can get inside 20 or 10 feet? feels like the next five, 10 years, the sports business world is going to change more than it might have in the two or three decades combined before that. Betting has been so ingrained from the, the origin of this game. I, I mean, I can't remember the last time I, I played a, a round of golf with buddies and didn't have some sort of action going, right? This is the Work in Sports Podcast. Here's VP of Content and Engage Learning at WorkinSports.com, Brian Clapp. There was a period of about five years when I was really into fantasy sports. Multiple baseball leagues, of course. One at work, one with friends, super intense dynasty league. At least two NFL leagues, an NHL, an English Premier League, and a NASCAR league. In a vacuum, you're probably thinking, yeah, that's neat, so do I. I'm not bringing this up for any look-at-me competition. Rather, I want to consider this from a sports business perspective. Let's really analyze what happens to the consumer, me, when they are heavily invested in fantasy competition. We'll start with NASCAR. I knew nothing about NASCAR, had barely ever watched a race. But the idea of competing with others and possibly beating those who knew a ton more than I did was enticing. What happened? Well, during that season, I watched a lot more NASCAR. I read about drivers. I learned why certain tracks favored certain teams. I even bought a Tied t-shirt. I became invested. My sports fandom changed. This is the true magic of fantasy sports. It isn't just an ancillary sports experience. It immerses you in the culture and community. Because you want to win. During this time of heavy fantasy investment, I also like to call it the pre-kids time of my life. I knew all the players, all the news, bought all the magazines, went to more games, and was glued to my TV for long stretches of time. And I wasn't alone. Researchers Todd Nesbitt and Kerry King found that fantasy participants watch 73% more Major League Baseball games per week and 35% more NFL games per week than non-participants. So what is fantasy sports? It's a marketing channel. Think of it from the business perspective. In marketing, you attract and develop an audience, period. For example, on our marketing team at iHire, we have email prospecting campaigns, webinars, trade shows, written articles, videos, graphic design, and much more. The idea behind all of these concepts is to attract and grow and develop a potential audience that can lead to business. Fantasy sports grows the audience for teams and leagues. More people invested in their activities leads to higher viewership, which leads to higher sponsorship deals and advertising rates, which leads to more revenue. This is a business maneuver. Fantasy sports changed the game. And now we're in for another sea change with sports betting. In 2019, gamblers legally bet more than $13 billion on sports. That number will rapidly increase in the years to come and every team and league wants in on the action. Which brings us to today's guest, Scott Warfield, VP of Gaming for the PGA Tour. Remember that $13 billion number I mentioned a few seconds ago? Golf accounted for only 1% of that massive number. So Scott and his team have an eye on growing this into the future with innovative approaches that will raise the bar for golf in the years to come. But let's hear it from the man himself. Here's Scott Warfield. 
Hey, Scott. Thanks a lot for joining me today. So great to have you on the conversation. Brian, thanks for having me. This is really cool to get into. Gaming, betting, all of it is such an expanding part of our world. And I know our audience, which skews a lot younger, is really interested in this topic. So we're going to get in really deep. But before we do that, let's get back into your origination story a little bit, which I always find this stuff really fascinating. How people discovered their career path that fit all those kind of things or desires to work in the industry. I read a little bit of your background that you shared through a LinkedIn post, and I thought the story was epic. Can you share a little bit about how you discovered your desire to enter the sports industry while at UNC Chapel Hill. I really like that story. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you ever seen the movie Rudy, Brian? Oh yeah, of course. All Come right, on. All right. So, so the scene where, uh, Sean Astin, uh, overlooking, uh, Notre Dame field and has decided he's going to quit. He's given up. And, um, the, the head groundskeeper fortune comes up and is talking to him. Right. And it's like, yeah. what are you doing here? And he's, you're five foot nothing, a hundred and nothing. One of my favorite quotes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Welcome to five foot nothing, a hundred and nothing. <laughs> uh, and I think that's probably the origin of it, right? Where it was, hey, you're not going to make it uh, playing point guard. Your bat stinks. Uh, had a good glove. My bat stinks. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I thought, what could I do to stay in the sports world? It's kind of what, what I grew up loving. Um and then from there, everything else uh, was by accident and by uh, sheer luck and maybe being in the right place at the right time. Um, so, uh, you know, I think the, the the story you're recounting is, you know, at Chapel Hill, um, trying to figure out what you want to be when you grow up, um, a journalism and econ double major, and um, ended up taking a class with Mick Mixon, who was the play-by-play analyst for the Carolina Tar Heels, and then just uh, actually retired from the Carolina Panthers as their play-by-play. Um, and he was teaching a sports marketing class. And um, I, I decided to take that and fell in love with the business side of, of sports. And, uh, you know, we were getting towards the end of a um, semester and I had pried my way into a phone interview with Sports Business Journal um, that um, I, I thought I was qualified for uh, being a, a kind of punk 21 year old uh, in, in, in college, mm-hmm. having all of, you know, six months as a intern uh, at Raleigh Triangle Business Journal, a sister publication, SBJ. And I, uh, I was telling Mick after class, I had this interview and he laughed and said, you have no chance. And you know, they'll have <laughs> national reporters the all over it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you, you, someone's got to tell you that stuff. Brutal. And, yep. But honest. Um, you know, he's like, what's your hook? What, how are you going to differentiate yourself? Um, and by the end of the ride home, which he, he, he provided as we chatted through this, he said, what do you think about driving down to Charlotte? And when the phone call comes in, answer it from the parking lot and see if they'll do a in-person interview. Said it sounds stocky. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but Hey, well, hey whatever. I, that sounds like fun. If I, if I stand no chance and that's a differentiator, right. let's do it. So drove to Charlotte, uh, phone call came in, uh, told Tom Stinson, the managing editor, I was downstairs and there was an awkward pause and he said, come on up. Um, and instead of talking just to Tom, I ended up talking to three different editors and Abe Madcore and a bunch of reporters. And look, I don't know. I don't know where the the where that falls in the, the reasoning of, of getting that job at SBJ, but it certainly didn't hurt. Um, it differentiated myself, which is something I think we all can spend time um, thinking about. Uh, I think we hear a lot of times growing up that you're special. I'm not. You're not. Uh, we have special qualities, but um, when it comes down to interviewing and 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 differentiating, um, 
you know, finding something like that, that will separate you from the pack certainly was, uh, certainly was something that, that helped me get, get into the industry. I love that. It's a competitive world out there. And to figure out that 1% different, you know, like that, it doesn't have to be always this massive difference between you and everybody else. Is that like 1%, 5% difference that can make you stand out. And I love that so, approach you took, but I'm sure people are hearing it right now and thinking, okay, journalism, econ started out as force business journal. VP of gaming? I mean, you've had kind of a winding road, writer, reporter, PR, marketing, comms, digital, social, esports, gaming. Not exactly a straight line. Mm -hmm. uh, some common themes in there, though. I'm imagining that you're a very good writer. Um, is it just your personality to embrace change and challenges, or was this part of some master plan to conquer every <laughs> aspect of the sports industry? I, I wish I was conquering anything. Um, <laughs> I, I would say this, I, I and this isn't meant to be a knock to her, but... Um, try not to be Drew Barrymore, try and be Meryl Streep. Um, I, I, I always had a fear of, of being typecast um, as, uh, you know, I'll never forget the day I was five, six years into doing the comms PR thing and, and someone at NASCAR in a meeting said, hey, meet Scott, our PR guy. And I sort of just bristled at that. I sort yeah. of cringed. Yeah. Um, and I don't know why, but but I, it, it, it struck me as that has defined me. Um, so that was about the time we were bringing our digital and social rights back in house from Turner. And I raised my hand and said, Hey, can I, you know, learn and, and, and kind of build out the social media apparatus, which at the time was one guy kind of running around doing lap by lap updates on Twitter. Mm -hmm. Um, and Steve Phelps, um, one of the best, best leaders out there in the in sports business said, yeah, go, go dig in. And we built out a 20 person social media team. And I did that for about five years. And, and, you know, I remember when someone introduced me as the social media guy and I sort of had that same, yep. uh Oh, so fast forward to digit, you know, run some digital components, the esports. Um, I, I don't know what it says, Brian, I don't know what it says about me. It's, I hope it's not that I'm, I'm ADD. I, I guess I, again, I, I like to continue to learn and be uncomfortable. And, um, I, I do think that in 2022, the days of specialized, mm -hmm roles are, are going to be, are going to be more limited. Um, so I always just wanted to have a, a more, you know, broad understanding of the overall business, how it's all connected, um, and how we can leverage it to kind of grow audience. And then that's kind of been where I've focused. That's the thing. It's also interconnected. It's all these departments that influence one another and every decision works cross-functionally. So having that kind of breadth of knowledge of actually walking in those shoes, doing those jobs, I think, increases the ceiling, increases the versatility. One of my early mentors, Sandy Malcolm, when I was at CNN Sports Illustrated, used to say to me, versatility is your key. Get versatile. Learn as much as you can. That's how you grow. And that's always stuck with me. And that's always the advice we're trying to share. So that's clear in your, in your yeah. background. Okay, so gaming and betting is the trend we all want to talk about. <laughs> it's the direction of the industry. It's a growth curve. That's what everybody's paying attention to. Before we get into the nuances of your role as VP of gaming at the PGA Tour, you were at NASCAR for almost 11 years, and then, as you mentioned, you jumped around within there, but the last two, you pivoted to managing director of gaming. Why? Why did you identify that? I can see why you looked at digital and social and said, this is somewhere that's growing. I want to be a part of that. I want to learn that. Why did you see that in gaming as well? Why was that the, the step you wanted to take? Yeah, I think it's um, similar to like when I was in that, that sort of PR comms world and looking at the digital and social and saying, that's sort of where the world is headed, right? Um, this was a very similar feeling of this new pro emerging business and technology that, that for the sports world, 
probably the biggest development since the the birth of the internet. Yeah. And and wanting to be a part of that and and understand how the intersection of media and technology was going to impact this, which is kind of where where I had spent, you know, 10 or 10 or 15 years. Um and you know that that was honestly the the by far the the best thing about a place like NASCAR um, that allowed you know average Joe to try his or her hand at various things right and so when um, raised the hand and said hey I want to I want to go learn this business with Brian Herbst a, a good buddy of mine um, and uh, you know really dig in and spend a year plus just traveling and talking to gaming operators and data providers and literally Googling what some of these terms are, which is what, you know, we did because I don't have a 30 year gaming background. Um, They were supportive. And so it, it, it sort of, I guess, long winded way of, of answering your question, Brian is, is always having your, your eyes on what is coming, where is the business moving, where societal trends taking you so that, Mm -hmm you become hopefully indispensable and you have enough value that you can provide across an organization as, you know, things like pandemics surprise you, you, you look and say, Hey, what does this person bring to the table versus that person? That, that yeah. always been the mentality. Yeah. And I echo that. I mean, when I was in my career, I was at Fox sports Northwest and I was the news director in the early two thousands and I could not get anybody interested in investing in social investing in digital. We barely had a website. Nobody's investing in these new channels. And I, same sort of thing. I was like, we got to be doing this. This is so important. And you have to have that kind of lens on where the audience is going at, rather than where it is right now. And you always have to be thinking ahead. So you, for you to identify that, I think is is really cool. I mean, we can see that trend happening. Um, a lot of times we look at betting, I do at least, as opportunity to make some money, have a little fun, raise the stakes a little bit. But if you look at it from the team and tour side, I mean, I think I'd approach it differently. I'd almost look at it as a another marketing channel to attract new fans, bring new people into the fold, grow the community of golf enthusiasts. Is that kind of the way you approach it from the team side? hundred percent. And that's been where I've, again, if you look at every role I've, I've, I've been fortunate enough to, to have, it's been how do you engage a current fan and how do you um, attract a new fan? Yeah. And I saw this at the intersection of both of those, right? So you have a, you know, a fan base that um, in both NASCAR and the PGA Tour, um, and not just those two organizations. I mean, sports in general tends right now to be a little bit older and whiter. And I believe there's a handful of ways for a a new fan to come into the sport. I think it's through social media. I think it's through esports. I think now it's through metaverse, NFTs. Sports betting is one of those. And um, yeah, I think there's a huge commercial opportunity for all the stakeholders, including the tour. Yeah. But the lens through which we look at it is literally, you know, engagement, which is going to drive viewership, which is a high tide lifts all boats, right? If we do this right and more people are in a responsible way betting $5 in the final three holes of the Valspar Championship, our quarter hour TV ratings go from here to here. Our yep. media deals go from here to here. Our title sponsorships go from here to here. Yes, there's direct revenue. Um, and we're going to realize that, but using it to grow the game is where my passion point is. 
Yeah, and those fans are going to become attached to those players and really understand their story and their nuance. I was joking with a co- coworker recently that I feel like if I go through my arc of my sports career, my knowledge about the sports industry and every sport and every player was the highest when I was really engaged with fantasy sports, i.e., before I had kids. Um, but I, I feel like I could tell you backup guards, you know, like every position I, I knew something about. I knew the players. I knew a little bit of background. Gaming leads to that as well. You're going to know the players you're investing in, why they're an advantage, maybe know a little bit more about their backstory. As we kind of discuss it in that frame, what does the athletes take on all this? Do they embrace this wave, see the potential, brand opportunities, things of that nature? Thankfully, yes. And I've been, again, fortunate to work for, for two different sports leagues where I think the athletes are incredible to work with in terms of, of seeing the bigger picture of what this could mean for them both from a fan base standpoint, but also a, a you know, c- commercial upside. And um, look, I, I'd be lying if I didn't say there is um, some concern with how quiet this game is um, and the impact that um, in-play betting could possibly have on the in-venue um, experience. Yeah, And that's something we're, we, you know, we, we need, we're addressing, whether that's, security at events that's ticket bat language there's things we're doing to make sure that we're operating in the framework of what was a federal supreme court decision back in yeah. 2018 um so the, the 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 big you know the, the the bottom line is they see the value they are supportive of what we're trying to accomplish um and they're providing great feedback to us that we take very seriously to make sure that we're protecting the integrity of the game, which is the the most important thing. Gosh, now you mentioned, as soon as you started to answer that, I started to think of, and not to put this seat in anybody's head, but you could see it where that could be an issue where somebody has money on one player. So they get loud at the event and try to distract another player or something of that nature. That would, that would keep me up at night, but I understand why that's an important trend to keep the integrity of the game. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, don't talk to me about (laughs) grades. But yeah, I get it. That's a, It's an interesting thing as we talk through the impact, the positive and negative impact of sports betting to realize all those nuanced things that can happen. It's not as simple as just let's roll this out and watch it make magic. Correct. No. And, you know, the, the, but the, 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 the honest truth of it all, and we've had this, I've had this conversation with several players, is regardless of, of what the, the tour does in the space, that threat, um, that threat exists, right? Yeah. Um, it, the Supreme Court made a decision to allow the states to decide Great whether point. they're going to legalize sports betting. So whether I'm here or this division exists, it's, and happening. We are op- it's, it's happening. Yeah. Now we better maximize it for their benefit and put the protocols in place to protect them. That, yeah. That's kind of our, in our, our thought process. That's such an interesting take. It's an interesting nuance to this whole story. Okay, so in 2019, gamblers legally bet more than $13 billion on sports. That's a crazy number. That's a crazy number. Golf accounted, from my research, for around 1% of that massive number. We know that often gambling, sports betting goes towards football, basketball, et cetera. But why do you believe there's upside for golf in gaming? A few reasons. Um, Something I think I mentioned a few minutes ago, in-play betting. Yeah. Um, which basically means bets that happen after the game or match begins. Um, in, in more mature betting markets like in Europe, where they've had legalized betting for decades, that represents about 70 or 75% of all bets. So wow. th- th- they're not betting as much on 
who's going to win this game or are the Clippers going to win by six or more points. They're betting on who's going to score the next three-pointer, who's going to win the next tennis point, who scores the next goal. And here in the States, in the early goings, that's hovering, you know, 30, 35%. But um, I think we all firmly believe that that is, is over time going to trend towards more of that 60, 70%. And the sports, in my opinion, that are the best positioned for that are the ones that are a little bit slower in pace. Uh, baseball, golf, where, you know, a, a player hits a ball on a par five, 270 yards and or nowadays 330 yards and, right. uh, you know, has to walk to the ball and then decide on club selection. And you can imagine then resetting and having here are the odds. He gets it inside 20 feet, inside 10, inside five, uh, hit the green. And, and so the, the, the PGA tour, you know, the, the, the behemoth in the world of golf with how, how many events we have, the investment we've made in shot link, which is our technology that gathers the data off the golf course. It just positions us incredibly well for the, um, for the future in this, in this space. Look, it's going to take time, but, um, I, I think that's a big piece of it. The second is it, betting has been so ingrained in, from the, the origin of this game, I, I mean, I can't remember the last time I, I played a, a round of golf with buddies and didn't have some sort of action yeah. going, right? Yeah, um, exactly. It, it, it just it just fits. The juice. So, you know, again, between the technology, the pace of play, the origins, all of those things make this a an interesting upside um, in, in what is currently a pretty low percentage of overall handle. But again, most of that's because the, the bet types in the past have been stagnant and, and yeah. a little bit stale. Yeah. If somebody bets on a, a winner or a top 10, they can tune in at the end and see that happen. But if they're going to be engaged throughout seeing the trend of play, how players are performing, then using that information to make bets, they're going, like, like you said earlier, they're going to be attached to the entire program. The ratings go up. And when the ratings go up, that has a cascading effect towards sponsorships and all that. So it's, it's really cool how holistically this all works. And the technology has to be a, a major part of it, like you said. How is how is that mat- maturation, the the technology growing, just impacted this entire industry? Yeah, I mean the, the the team here, the the product and dev and technology teams that have spent years and years and lots and lots of money um, investing in that shotlink technology. Um, I mean, they're the heroes, right? Without yeah. that and the ability to understand that that ball is 329 yards from the tee box and it's actually in the first cut or rough and not in the second cut, that's what's going to enable mm-hmm. this to be different than any other, you know, stick and ball sport. So it, it truly is the the differentiator for us. Um, now figure out how to harness it, how to package it, how to distribute it. Yeah. And then, oh, by the way, how to get customers and betters to say, that's cool. And I want to do it. It's almost like a brand new product launch. And that's, that's, again, comes back to the the marketing. It's, it's not so much a, if you build it, they'll come. Um, it's a, if you build it, promote the shit out of it. Yeah. And they'll come. Yeah. Okay. So that dovetails perfectly to my next question. As of 2019, the average age of a golf fan was around 64. Recent data shows the average age of sports gamblers is 38. How much does education play a role here in getting people up to speed and how this all works? And to be re- how to be responsible and to understand, you know, what some of these spreads mean or how it all, you know, just the, the actual operation of it so that there is comfort 
And there is breaking down some of those barriers to an older audience that may not be familiar with this rhythm or process. Way more than you would ever imagine. I bet. Um, and that's why, again, if you think about a comms background, a social background, mm -hmm. a digital background, how do you pull all those elements, put it in the blender, and now push it out to educate the current fan who might be older and say, here's why you should take your knowledge of the sport and participate in this new activity and then take those same platforms, but target them different ways and say, Hey, 25 year old mm -hmm. female from long beach. Who's never been to a PGA tour event, but she's betting on, you know, NBA games. And when the season ends, have you ever thought about, golf in this way. And here's why. Yeah, Those are very different messages, sometimes on very different platforms, but it's going to be vital if we're going to go from what has again, traditionally been, try and pick a, a winner out of 144 guys that are all really good mm -hmm. to one guy's got 250 yards of the pin. What are his odds? He can get inside 20 or 10 feet. That is part of that as an education. Um, yeah. And that's why we've done things like stand up golf bet, which is a partnership with the action network. And, you know, we did a, uh, we have a, pr a program with the American gaming association around their have a game plan campaign where we're trying to educate our fans on if you're going to do this, here's how to set limits and make sure you don't develop problems. So it's like a startup business and all those pieces have to be in sync to, um, you know, make sure it, it ticks. As this grows, we often talk about how small that we collectively in the industry talk about how small our business is, right? How small our industry is. Everybody seems to know each other. I met you through Evan Parker, uh, mm -hmm. who was on our show. You were on a panel with Johnny Aitken from PointsBet. Johnny, Johnny's been on this show before. I'm friends with Raleigh Ann Gray, who you know. It's a small world. Who everyone it, knows. I, well, that's true. Raleigh kind of knows everybody. But in the gaming world, is that even a smaller, tighter-knit subsection? Like, do you share information and strategies and ideas across leagues? Like, do you talk with people in the NBA about how they're doing things or NFL and just try to Every grow week. and learn this together? Every week. Really? And and for someone that's now been in the business, scary enough, almost 20 years, it this is one of the few categories that I know of that that type of information share yeah. between between leagues happens. Um, had one this morning where trying to learn and, and share what we know. And um, that has been also one of those pieces that um, I have just cherished is getting to know Scott Kaufman Ross at the NBA or Kenny Gersh at MLB or, you know, the NFL folks or ATP folks. Like we yeah. just, we, that is a lot of what we end up doing. And, you know, I, I think for your, you know, listeners and, and others that, that are talking about getting into to sports. That's one thing I always say to my students at Wake Forest is like the term network, just, I, I cringe at like, build relate, you know, build relationships, yep. right. Oh, yeah. And don't just call when you're looking for a job. Don't just call when you need this or that. Like I, I, we, I think that group in this sports betting role, we sort of, we have regular touch points and sometimes mm -hmm. we're talking about a March Madness game and, you know, we're not uh, even talking business. Other times we're, we're, we're getting way into it. And I, I have learned more from some of those counterparts than anything else out there because, um, you know, this is a small, it's three years old. There's not a lot of people that have done this. Right. Uh, there's no playbook. And um, we're kind of flying this, no, sorry for the pun, we're kind of flying this plane as we build it. No, I think that's spot on. And I think that idea of networking, which I agree with you, I hate the term. 
I'm more relationship building is so much more important and it's an effort to it too. It's not just clicking a button, you know, like that is what people tend to think of as vertically, right? You have to network with that person who's a decision maker and is going to get me a job. But 90% of my connections in the industry are people that I've worked next to or at my level, or I met in an internship 20 years ago, or I started out with in the business together and we all grew up and went other places. So it's all those relationships you form at every stage of your career from those people around you and above you. But a lot of time it's a person next to you that ends up being one of your best contacts that moves on and goes somewhere else. Especially right now, I, I mean, I'm sure this has happened in other generations, but it just feels like with where the media landscape has been, where this next generation of leaders is coming from, you know, they're all steeped in this, in some form, in this diversification of the media business, right? Where it's yeah. being, it's being spliced up. And, and I think, you know, you, you think about TJ at Twitter and Anmol at Snapchat and, and these guys that we, we grew up together in this business, they're going to go on to huge things. Um, right. It's not why I stay in touch with them. Um, I stay in touch with them because they're brilliant and I learn from them and mm-hmm. they make me laugh. That helps. Yeah. But, but yeah, I think your point is spot on. Sometimes, People tend to focus on who's above them and how to, to network with them when your, your your best lead may be in the cube next to you. Yeah, it's a long play. Relationship building isn't like right away, just add water, you're going to get somebody to offer you a job. It's It takes a long time, but it, it bears fruit and it, and it can change you in more ways than just a job opportunity. Like you said, it's information sharing, it's knowledge gaining, it's, all, it's so much right. that comes from it. Um, pivoting for a second, the NFL, we talked a little bit about security issues earlier, but just recently the NFL had its first real public issue with player game playing on NFL games with Calvin Ridley. Um, is the integrity of the game also that kind of stuff that, that keeps you up at night and the potential for missteps and wrongdoings and such, is that something that you can mitigate or is that something you have to just react to? Like, how do you even approach that? A couple of things unpacked there. One, it, it does, it, it keeps me up at night. Um, with that said, we're taking every step to do whatever we can to mitigate it. Um, I, I always say we have a kind of a five, six pillar approach to our strategy and one and two will always be the priorities and they will always take the priority. It is integrity and responsible gaming. And if you think about integrity, the first thing we did when we stood this business up was develop a partnership with Genius Sports, who's our integrity partnership, and they provide fraud detection monitoring and their, you know, education sessions with our stakeholders. It, that at its core, if we don't do that right, nothing else matters. Yeah. Um, the second piece is the responsible gaming. Uh, if you think about integrity, taking care of our stakeholders, responsible gaming is taking care of our fans. So I mentioned the AGA relationship. We also have a national council for problem gambling relationship where we try and bring that, you know, 1-800 type of messaging into our content so that people, should they develop a problem, know where to go. You know, I, I'm laser focused on this for A, it, it's it would, both of those will impact the, the business and the bottom line, but more importantly, it's, they're the right things to do. Right. And we need to learn from some of the more mature markets that probably didn't put as much focus on those two pillars. Yeah. So we're trying to do our best. We may not lead on content. We may not lead in commercial or data. We're going to do everything in our power to lead on integrity and responsible gaming. That's so cool. Yeah, it was interesting to see all that all break down and understand that the, the league had the AFL had those relationships with the the vendors too and with the partners to know that this was happening. And that's something that 
the average everyday fan may not recognize is happening, but that's how the monitoring happens as well, to know when these things happen, to communicate and act as true partners. It, it, it worked. It worked. I, I, I hate it um, for everyone involved, um, but the, the program, the process, whatever you want to call it, that they put in place with their integrity partner, mm-hmm. it worked. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we're, we're, it, we'll never rest uh, on this front. We're going to continue to invest there because, again, it's the integrity of our game. that There's nothing more important than that. Yeah. So specific to your role, a term like VP of gaming, pretty broad. You know, it doesn't really tell us exactly your, your role and responsibility, but it's a big program, as you've talked about. Obviously, integrity, data, content, execution, partnerships. I mean, there's so much to it. How does it break down for you? How do you identify your big priorities and what, how your role kind of fits into the whole scheme of things? And it changes from day to day. I know that. I ask this question of almost every guest, and every time everybody says it's different from day to day. Well, again, especially in a, a business that's all of whatever, three and a half years old, three three years and two months old. Um, and you either love that or you, you don't. You, yeah. you, you know, some like to come in and here's what I do and here's my today and here's my checklist and I can cross this stuff off at the end of Friday. It feels like we're, I'm never, I'm never putting something away. My no. desk is a mess. Um, but look, it's, um, have a huge support group at this organization. Um, you know, uh, a, a legal counsel and, and David Miller, that is our kind of, resp- you know, helps with everything from our lobbying to our regulatory matters. And we lean on a content team that is engaged in helping us push this business forward. So it's, it's, Sometimes you feel like point guard yeah. and you're, you're trying to find where to, to, to dish and how to get everyone kind of rowing in the same direction, but it's, it's new. I, I think we're making our way. Okay. But certainly can, uh, can certainly can get better. With that in mind, I tend to think of everything through the lens of employment opportunities, you know, where the growth sector is for young people coming up in the industry. Um, we'll finish up with this for someone who wants to work in this field that somebody's identifying it like you and saying, this is a growth sector. I want to get in here. Where is the demand? Where are those opportunities? If somebody said, I want to work in sports betting, are there lots of different ways to kind of break in? Yeah. I mean, it's across the board, right? I mean, we talked content. So if you're a, a writer, reporter, you're seeing it like with Darren Ravel and Action Network, it's it's huge business. Uh, if you're a tech person, a developer, massive opportunity. If you're more into the data side, that that is huge. Sales, you know, right now we're kind of, again, I'm an expert in nothing, uh, trying to be jack, jack of all trades a little bit, but I think all of those pieces, this is like any new business. It's, um, all of it can be PR. We have a, a, a PR group and a, a PR person that, that is helping with, with kind of the gaming side. So it's, um, you know, sometimes can be broad, but I think all of it can have, you know, all of it can be applied to, to this part of it. Um, I also just think, you know, that this moment in time where web three and, mixed reality and metaverse and NFTs and gaming and renewable energy. Like I, it feels like the next five, 10 years, when ch- the sports business world is going to change more than it might've in the two or three decades combined before that. So true. And, and for a lot of these kids um, that are coming out, like they, they have a lot of this stuff at their, their fingerprints. They grew up on these platforms. Yep. They're going to be more educated on it. Now it's about just getting in. Right. And and sometimes that's the hardest thing is getting into the sports business, figure out where to go from there. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's it's like anywhere else. Like you gotta be flexible in your mm-hmm. 
path, right? You got to be kind. I don't think we talk about that enough. You probably do, but in a business setting, I think, you know, being kind and and, um, doing business the right way is important. Mm -hmm. Your reputation. Your reputations of everything, right? Um, And that goes back to this small world conversation too. If you're not kind or you don't handle your business the right way, that'll come back around. We have a term, don't hire some things. Um, I won't say it here, but, but that's, Assholes? you know, that you can yeah, say you know, it, it, it's, we work too hard and too long to deal with that. And so I, again, that's just one of those traits you can pull no matter if you get into sports or not. Yep. And then the, you know, challenging the status quo, asking the question, why is one that I just always harp on, right. Is like, oh, yeah. there's a lot of stuff that happens. It's traditional and we've, this is the way we've done it. Um, I, I, I always look for the, the, the interviewee or the person that's going to say, Hey, that's dumb. Why are you doing that? Yep. Sometimes the answer is this is why. And that makes sense. A lot of times it's, I'm not sure. We just, we've always done it that way. So those are, um, you know, a roundabout way of answering, answering your question, but those are things that I think you can uh, apply in a, yeah. a, a sports business world for sure. It's so spot on though, like how changing our business is right now between, like you said, NFTs and and NIL, names, image, and likeness, and gaming. And there's so many, like one of these things is a sea change for the industry. Now you start layering them all at the same time and they all cross over and influence one another. To your point, I think young people are at a massive advantage because they're growing up with this. They're seeing the world through this lens through ev- forever and they they interpret the information faster and and with with more incisiveness than than those of us who've been in the industry for a really long time i think it's an opportunity that i mean young people should leverage right think about when, if you were growing up and you were going down in the basement to play video games what your parents would have said what yeah. they said to you yeah now yeah right i, I yeah. used to do esports at, at nascar right i mean that that is a, a growing up on esports and growing up with yeah. betting and growing up with you know web3 totally and reality i mean it's it's different so I, you know it just takes a little bit of proactiveness at this point it is cool though. Scott, great conversation. So cool to see where the gaming world is headed and all the opportunities at, at, with the PGA Tour and how you guys have structured everything. Loved all the information you shared. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me, Brian. Thank you to Scott for coming on the show. I really found this conversation fascinating because I will admit to you, I am not a gambler. I like poker. I like a little blackjack, not going to lie, but I don't bet on sports because I've always done terrible at it. I used to, I lost money, I backed away, I realized it's not my strong point, caused too much stress for me, but I understand the value of it and I really look at it like an interesting marketing channel. So to dig in in that way with Scott and understand the perspective on the cool things they can do during the event to hook audience members, to get people watching, to make them more invested in the players and the humanity of it all. I think that's really interesting. I find this conversation fascinating. I hope you did too. I I know that there's a lot of opportunities out there. There's a lot of different areas of the sports industry that are intriguing to people. But I'm telling you, there is a big wave here. You might want to get on board because look at the money that's being tossed around by a lot of these sports gambling sites, right? They're trying to bring in talent like Adam Schefter. They're trying to bring in all these other talent because they understand this is where the growth sector is. I'd be considering this if I was looking into my career right now. Thanks for listening, everybody. Always a pleasure to have you here. Please rate, review, and subscribe so we can continue to grow this audience. We love having you all here. I will see you on Monday. Monday.